Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Tech Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, as well as our show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app, we keep you up to date on all things tech every day with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. Now, a little later, we're going to be talking to somebody very, very exciting uh, from the UXDX conference, which was on very recently, uh, a lady who's been behind a game that made $14 million. <gasps> How do they do it? We'll find out more uh, later on in the show. But first, Niall Kitson, our Tech Central editor, is joining me as always. And I suppose we start off with uh, Bill Gates, I was saying in the show last week, has now admitted he uses an Android phone. And then Joe Belfiore said the same thing today. Um, Windows phone is dead, yeah? More or less, yeah. yeah. Are you and sad? Do you know what? I kind of am because it, it kind of, it cuts to the heart of what Microsoft's Windows 10 strategy was going to be. You remember when they announced it first, they were, they were saying universal apps. You develop for your phone, it'll work on your phone, your tablet and the desktop. That's brilliant idea. I mean, could you imagine how convenient that would be? I mean, you only need one version of Microsoft Office and it'll work on everything. Um, now, I know Apple do something similar with their own apps and iOS, but still, it's a really nice um, prospect, and it's really developer friendly as well. I thought this was going to be um, this was going to be super popular, uh, as it turned out, no. And in the same way that Microsoft and Windows struggled as soon as the iPhone and Android came along, it feels like the people never moved with them. I knew remember what um, Windows Mobile was like back in the day, sort mm. of pre-iPhone, that it looked like a PC desktop on your on what was then considered a smartphone, but very clunky to use, relied on quite uh, unreliable-ish touchscreens, just wasn't a fluid experience and you're straining your eyes and all that kind of thing. Then all of a sudden, Windows 8 comes along, you've got a nice interface to make things work, but the nail in the coffin ultimately was they could not get people to develop apps for Windows Mobile. And, and it's a, it's it amazing, really, because, uh, well, I suppose Windows is so popular on PC and laptop, but um, on tablets and on uh, mobile phones, not so hot. So I can understand why. And then maybe it's a, a thing with us, the consumers, where we're kind of like, you know, well, we use our smartphone for certain uses and we use our laptops for other uses and then we use tablets for other uses. So do you really need something that goes across all of them? Yeah, well, just there's never been, uh, well, two things, I guess, really. One is Windows just doesn't have a wow factor. It's, you know, it's mm-hmm. a necessary evil for a lot of people and and they equate Windows with work. That's that's where Microsoft's main market is. That's where Microsoft is incredibly strong. Um, but I think people just see it as a necessary evil. I don't, I don't know people that get too excited over Microsoft products. I don't um, think, though, that uh, uh, we're seeing the end of it because uh, Samsung are getting very good reviews for their new little DeX unit where you can put your, your S8 into this cradle uh, and attach it to a keyboard, mouse and monitor. And you use it with a completely different interface than what's on your phone, uh, but you just use all the apps that are on your phone. And it looks it looks interesting. And every, everybody that I've seen reviewing it on uh, on YouTube are all saying 
yeah, this is a step forward and it's kind of cool, but it's just a toy for now. But it's interesting where we're going with it. Yeah, and I'd agree with you on that. I mean, uh, DEX is pretty much the, the usage model, I think, for business people going forward because it, it makes sense if you're on the road a lot it makes sense to have a device that you can plug into a big screen and it's it's usable on both i actually quite liked the last um uh big windows phone flagship it was the the hp elite x3 uh, and it was exactly that you know it was a desktop quality operating system that you just plug into the little dock and away you go um for business users i thought it was a banker but no, the enthusiasm just wasn't there. Maybe it was overpriced. But I think Samsung will make some headway into that market uh, with the DeX. Uh, I'm still sold on the idea. Um, so I'm so sold on it that I've already penned a, a very strong email to a Mr. Santa Claus. <laughs> saying I would like one for Christmas. So, uh, so I'll have a play with that. But it's also interesting how the public are taking these things and whether they adapt to them or not. And it's like um, it's like when the first camera phones came out. I thought, wow, this is going to be amazing because everybody will use it to take pictures and then send it to their friends by via text message. And that didn't happen. Everybody just used it like a camera. And then they would wait until they met their friends and then went, hey, look at this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now, of course, we have uh, Instagram and social media and, and, and Facebook and things like that. So it's kind of like you put things out in the world and some things will fly and then other things will fly in a different way, completely unexpected. And you know what? Our interview today is all about that. So we'll get that to uh, a little later. Uh, the other thing I wanted to have a quick chat with you about was uh, Google's announcements. Of course, all uh, last week, we just kind of sat on it and had a, had a look at what they had out. What did, what did you make of the whole announcement? Yeah, it's kind of unfortunate that we didn't get to talk to this last week uh, when people were going absolutely nuts about it. But yeah, Google had uh, their big hardware announcement. And yeah, OK, a couple of interesting things. They released, they, um, or rather they announced their Pixel 2 smartphone. Um, OK, grand smartphone. Thank you very much. They also showed off the Pixel 2 and Pixel 2 XL um, Chromebook, I guess. Um, what's interesting about them, though, is that they're not running uh, Chrome as the OS. They're running Android, uh, Android 8 Oreo. So I think that's really interesting. That means you'll get to run all your Android apps on your laptop. Again, I think this is a really nice step forward, uh, bringing that sort of desktop experience and merging them with mobile apps, which is what we were talking about earlier. Very much in favor of that. Um, they also revealed uh, the Google Home and uh, or rather the Google Home Mini and Google Home Max, which are basically competitors for Amazon's what's their home management uh, thing? I think it's Dot, uh, Alexa Dot. Uh, yes, um, the, the Dot and the uh, Echo. That's it. The Echo and the Echo Dot. Alexa is the personal assistant uh, baked into them. So Two competitors there. They look quite, quite nice. They've got sort of a grey finish on them and seem fairly unobtrusive, which is what you want. Um, they also showed off a new version of the Daydream VR headset, um, sort of improved lenses on it. And it's, uh, you'd imagine it's a little bit lighter. Um, again, sort of, okay, fine. Uh, still relies on the smartphone to do what you want. Um, very much reliant on whatever apps are coming out. So it's it's up to the third-party developers to really make people want this kind of thing. Can't see, um, I can't see it becoming incredibly popular, but it is device agnostic, which isn't something you can say about the Gear VR. Mm. 
And lastly, uh, which is something I think you, you're most interested in anyway, are the Pixel Buds. I knew, I knew you'd say that, and you're absolutely correct. I am very interested in it. <clears throat> Not because they're, they're headphones, you can listen to music or take calls on them, uh, but the whole translation side of things where allegedly... <laughs> Because I haven't tried it yet. Uh, is you touch your ear um, with the headphones in it, and it will listen to somebody speaking in another language, and Google Translate will immediately translate it then into your native language. An interesting idea. Um, there's another crowd out there who are trialing this called Pilot, mm-hmm. and I think the pilot thing is probably better from what I've seen because that is a product that's been marketed specifically for a smaller amount of languages and I think they do a better job of it. If I had a choice between buying the Pixel Buds or buying the pilot, I think I would definitely go with the pilot. Okay, well, Pixel, they're they're claiming support for 40 languages. So that sounds reasonably ambitious straight out the gate. Um, yeah, but what, what kind of device is, uh, is, is it an app or is it? The um, Pilot is, um, it, I think it's paired with an app and it's Bluetooth headphones in your head. So very like the Pixel Buds. Mm-hmm. And, but they don't do as many languages and they've been developing it for a little while. And I've tried the app on the phone and the app on the phone I find is much better at decoding a spoken word than the Google Translate app. Mm. And I guess it comes down to where you're actually going as well. I mean, if, you, if you're stuck in a very remote country where you're completely at sea, that's, that's one situation. But if you want to order a coffee in Paris. You don't need it for that. <laughs> <laughs> Un café, s'il vous plaît. Um, but you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I know, exa- I know exactly what you mean. So, it, yes, it is interesting. And English is such a widely spoken language. Spanish is such a widely spoken language as well. Uh, they're very common. You end up, and there's something about the human condition, right, where I think when you're in cases of you need something, you're able to communicate. And I think you or I could be landed in a supermarket in the middle of Germany, um, in the middle of South America or in India somewhere. And we will still manage to find what it is we need to buy and conduct the transaction and leave. Somehow. Somehow we would do it, but it's through sign language and pointing and um, whatever. I don't know. It's interesting where we're going, but I love the thought that we are going with the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy famous Babelfish and you just have this little thing in your ear and automatically it translates. I think that's very very geeky of me, I know. (laughs) I I knew that would be the attraction straight away. I know, I'm looking forward. Do you know what I'm very disappointed though is the Pixel book. I know you gave it a a good run there and said that it's running uh, the Android OS, but I don't think, I think the problem with the Pixel book is that it's the same Price, you're getting up in the same amount of money that you would pay for, for a Dell XPS or for a MacBook Air. Uh, I think the Pixelbook is nowhere near as close to either of those two laptops. Yeah, okay, right. I'll, I'll, I'll take that point on board. Yeah, the, uh, and the other thing uh, with the phone, and again, just listening to you kind of talking about the announcement with the, the Pixel phone and the, and the XL is like, yeah, smartphone, quote unquote. Uh, but what I do believe is that the Pixel 2 has got one of the best cameras. So if you're into photography and stuff like that, that's uh, definitely one worth looking at. Uh, finally, for this week, um, <laughs> poor old Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> Not everything he touches is gold. 
Oh, gosh. I mean, you, you'd like to think he's the smartest man in any room he walks into. You would like to think that goodness. he's somebody, he, he's kind of cool because he has this kind of like cool, nerdy cool image. Do you know what I mean? And he's just gone and done something that's just kind of completely bleh. Oh, God. Yeah, it's ridiculous. OK, right. The short version. Um, uh, Facebook this week has the Oculus Connect uh, developer conference, right? And sort of in advance of it, uh, Zuckerberg and his head of social VR, um, Rachel uh, Franklin, um, did a promo of the two of them in their virtual sort of avatars, which look like sort of little um, uh, Xbox Live or Nintendo Me characters. Uh, going around um, Puerto Rico uh, and this showing is, this the, is the island that has been recently hit by hurricanes. This is this is you know Puerto Rico death by destruction disaster. disaster all around. Okay, so he visits yeah. virtually. He visits virtually, and he has his happy clappy avatar, and he's looking around and sort of showing. Look, we can see this. We can see this, and you know we've donated one point five million to the relief effort in Puerto Rico brackets therefore we can do whatever we want um and uh sort of at the end of this fairly cloying demonstration i mean they're going "Ooh, look around i mean this place is really flooded eh I thought, oh god and you know they're saying you know and we're not even in the same building and you know this is meant to impress you but i mean it's real all all i think of when i hear that is that they actually send people to university and to colleges to study marketing and this is what they come up with What a complete waste of some parents' money. (laughs) I'm sure somebody in the room when they were were thinking about this said, can I tell them? Yeah, that person is not working anymore. (laughs) There you go. Listen, that's all the news for this week. Thanks, Niall, as ever. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Last week, web designers, developers and user interface experts came to Dublin for UXDX. Among the speakers was Leah Skonenfelder, one of the designers of Monument Valley 2. Now, if you haven't heard of Monument Valley, the first in a series picked up numerous awards, including a BAFTA, and made $14 million in just two years. It even featured in House of Cards. What's interesting, though, about the game is that it came about by accident when some developers were applying principles of user experience and web design to a mobile game. Niall Kitson sat down with Leah to talk about the game's appeal and the development process behind its success. This afternoon, I'm at the UXDX conference at the RDS, and I'm here specifically to meet with Lee Schoenfelder, I'm sure I got that right, (laughs) um, to talk a little bit about um, her game Monument Valley 2. Now, the reason we're, we're talking about games on this show is because it's a particularly interesting project, and one that came not from a place of pure game design, where we know our gears war and our calls of duty, and the very cinematic element. Monument Valley is very much a design-led game that sort of came out of um, not so much a, a, a place of telling a, a compelling action-based story, but more something that kind of came from a, a user experience um, perspective where you are solving problems that you might be more uh, comfortable with seeing, say, on a website. So let's jump in, Lee, just to talk about um, your work with us two games. Now, us two didn't start off life as a, as a game studio, though it is now. There's another wing to the company. 
Yeah, exactly. So us two originally started off as a UX UI company and um, they still are like they have a big studio in London and other studios in other parts of the world. And um, they first made Monument Valley as a basically game that would show off what they were able to produce uh, more in a like less expecting huge amount of revenues, but more showing the world what what's able with games and um, we are a separated company now like we're us to games and are completely in a different building and working by ourselves so there is not as much contact anymore but we still very much appreciate our heritage and where we come from and I think it's really important to make like if you have the approach or the goal for yourself to make games for a large audience they have to be super accessible and user experience is one of the core pillars of that process uh, and I think one of the things that's really interesting about Monument Valley um, as well is the fact that you know it didn't appear on consoles or PCs it's an example of how the idea of being a gamer has changed as well that you know the majority of people are now playing games not on the console or the PC but they're, they're playing mobile games yeah I even almost think that the term gamer is kind of obsolete like when we think of gamers it, we think of these young guys who like to spend like 30 hours in a console game or something like that and when you ask someone who occasionally plays on the tube for example they wouldn't necessarily consider themselves gamers and if you compare it to other media like would you consider yourself a reader just because from time to time you read um, I think games are really something for everyone right now um, because you can play it on your smartphone and um, everybody owns it. So yeah, I think that's been a shift that has come about, not even that recently, but in the last 10 years maybe. Yeah, and what's interesting about Monument Valley is that it's it's sort of an accidental success really, I mean, isn't it? I mean, it is more than paid for itself at this stage. It's had, uh, I think it's what, 14 million downloads at this stage or something like that? Oh, you'll have to ask. It, it has, you know... <laughs> I, I think it has something in the region of 14 million downloads and um, I think it's made something like $26 million in revenue. Um, of course, we'll double check those figures for our listeners, but you get the idea of the scale of the success. Yeah. So how does it actually work? What's the gameplay like? Um, so Monument Valley as Monument Valley 2 is a quite easy puzzle game, if you want so. So the core of it is that you lead a character to the goal of a level. Um, usually a level is um, a architectonical structure and um, consists of impossible geometry. So if you are familiar with the Dutch graphical artist MC Escher, that was one of the basic inspirations. And it plays a lot with these tricks that you can't really understand in your head, but you still see it, things like pen roses, for example. So when you're looking at sort of optical illusions like this, do you think that's a significant part of the novelty that draws people into the game? I think so, yes. Like, especially with the first one, whenever you play a little GIF where you see someone completing a Penrose in a way that's not actually possible, you see them turning their heads and wondering, oh, how did that work? So that, yeah, that actually still is a core piece and is really um, fun for us to watch. 
so tell us a little bit about Monument Valley 2. I mean, it's going to retain certain elements of, uh, of the first game. Uh, again, that impossible geometry, I think, is, is really key to its, to its appeal. So what's happening in this one? I mean, there was a, quite a, a strong narrative through the first game. Is there, what's the story this time around? So this uh, this time we wanted to tell a new story. After all, it's Monument Valley 2 and not um, the continuation of Ida. So we thought about what are people interested in? What do people experience in their everyday life? And um, we had parallel to that, parallel to thinking of the story, we had already some mechanical elements like... Um, We had prototypes where you had multiple characters on screen, for example. We had one prototype where a bigger character would lead a smaller character around. And from the very beginning, we called that the mother-child mechanic. Um, so when it came to the story, we saw that all these different relationships between one or multiple characters on screen could be part of that narrative on, of a mother and her daughter. And we found that First of all, something that's not that often told in games. And secondly, something that we thought is really approachable for our audience, who is basically everybody and everybody has a mother and many people have daughters. I think that's a really interesting um, point to make is sort of that mother daughter dynamic because you, you don't see older women in games at all really do you so it was a, quite a daring choice like when when you sat down and you decided okay these are going to be our characters and it's sort of a universal thing did you think we're actually taking a bit of a risk here as well um yes it was a risk but we saw it more as an opportunity like we knew that there are games out there that um have more mundane topics these days and have characters that are easier relatable um, uh, in comparison with the games market, how it looked maybe 10 years ago or so. So we thought that people would be ready for it and it turned out they are, right? It's If you look at it from a non-gamer or non-developer perspective, it's a really logical thing to do to tell the story of a mother and a child. So we thought we might be one of the few people who do it in games. There's two things that I, that I want to talk to you about um, now. One sort of hearkening back to the design element on you, you mentioned, Escher. Um, they're all incredibly artful levels when, when you look at them, mm -hmm. almost to the extent that you, you would like to have them printed out at home. But that, that actually was a deliberate choice, wasn't it? Sorry, that you can um, sort of uh, you, that you would actually want to print out a level and, and look at it as a work of art um, yeah that was more a uh, heritage from the previous game that we had um, and obviously it is always a good goal to have because um, you just want to make a pretty game but more than that you also want to make an appropriate game so it was very important to me and to many people in the art team um, that the color choices and the elements in the architecture and the whole setup of the scene would match the story point that you have in each level. Uh, another thing I'd like to talk to you about is the idea of managing the difficulty of the game. Mm -hmm. Because when you're designing a game, ostensibly for people that aren't gamers in the traditional sense, uh, there is a typical model there of, of difficulty versus, you know, reward. Mm -hmm. um, but how do you construct a game that balances difficulty, reward and novelty for people that aren't used to going and playing a game that starts, you know, at the start of a level, 
all the way through it's very linear and then at the end it gets incredibly hard so how do you manage those expectations to stop people getting bored or frustrated or stuck in a bottleneck so the key for that is user testing and um I've worked in some games companies before and pretty much everybody does it in a certain way. But I think there is something special to us, to games, how we conduct it. It is very personal and not data-driven at all, like compared to all the free-to-play titles out there. That's a huge difference, right? And we can do that because our games are quite short. So Monument Valley 2 has a playtime from depends on how fast and... Um, uh, skilled you are something between one and a half hours and three or five hours if you take a really long time and um, it was able for us to user test every single level and not even that we user tested a lot of more levels that are not in the game right now and um, with the with the findings that we got from that we were then able to um, put the levels and the story points in a dramaturgy that made sense from a difficulty level and also a story level. So you're kind of looking at things on a, a qualitative level, just sitting people down and going, actually, what, what worked yeah. for you as opposed to number crunching? Exactly, yeah. So we call that like a qualitative user testing, right? Where we... It's more important to us to do like an in-depth user testing with maybe three people at a time than having 50,000 who uh, we then would only find out, oh, the majority takes five seconds to um, see that dragger over there. That's not really important to us. To us, it's more important whether people, what they are thinking and what when they are surprised and when they have this, as I said previously in my talk, when they have these um, wow moments and the flickering in their eyes. Yeah, it is sort of that emotional connection that, mm-hmm. that you're looking for with this game that I find is, is quite, diff- quite different to, uh, to other games where, uh, you know, looking at a AAA title where you get that visceral feedback um, either from the controller or from the action on, on the screen. So when you're looking for, for emotional impact, you are looking to balance that constant sense of surprise. That's the main emotion you want to deliver. Yes, I mean, surprise is a very general word, right? You can be surprised about many things. You can be surprised about something looking new. You can be surprised about something in the story that is a big surprise moment, for example, when the two characters break up for the first time. Like, at the very beginning, you have the child always following the mother around, and then there is a point where they get separated, and that's a quite emotional moment, for example. Then there are other forms of surprises which have to do with the impossible geometry, when you make a connection that you didn't expect in that sense. So I think um, having all these different forms of surprises make it able to not bore people by being over surprised <laughs> if that makes sense yeah I mean there are natural dips and, and drops in the game that, that I noticed um, the, yeah. the way you had it mapped out mm-hmm. um, where you're avoiding sort of the typical model of uh, you know the further along the game you go the more complicated it gets mm-hmm. you're, you're sort of balancing out the, the easy bits with the with the hard bits it's much more um, much more evenly yeah um so looking sort of backwards again um because you know the game c- came from a, a a user experience place are you seeing any any more um uh, or any further collaboration in terms of how 
you see the game being progressed or other games that us two is working on are they coming from this same design thinking mindset or are you looking more and more towards what's actually going on in for want of a better word mainstream gaming uh, or even slightly more elaborate puzzle games like the sims games or or portal or something like that um, are you more impressed by sort of things coming from the ux end of things or do you see yourself gravitating more towards more elaborate puzzle games yeah that's a really good question um we definitely look at other games and um but i would say we don't look at them too much from a business or market perspective but from a design perspective so when we look at a game it could be portal or it could be some new indie game that only 15 people would download and uh, we are quite a uh, team that likes to analyze a lot and criticize a lot. So we would um, would pick a game and see what do they do really well, what do they do really badly. And you would find some of these in the most successful and the least successful games. Um, but we also try to be open and not just look into games, um, but look into art or look into movies or look into politics even or society and uh yeah i mean the user experience uh, perspective was very strong when we were still part of us to london and we try to keep it by for example inviting them to user tests or um having some activities together or some something like that but we are very clearly our own like games team right now so that's that changed and you mentioned sort of the various influences that, that inform how you're looking at games now. Mm-hmm. but And you touched upon indie games. So what games over the last year or so really struck you as doing something interesting or, or maybe a game that completely failed to execute? So what has impressed you? I'm thinking of games that were discussed in the studio rather by myself. Um I remember we used to play a lot of Overcooked. Like there was actually a time where we um, uh, were thinking about maybe doing something um, local multiplayer-wise. I'm not sure if that's going to happen, but that was for me that was a really nice example because it also had this mundane topic of cooking. The Witness obviously was very popular uh, amongst us. We looked at. The games like the old man's journey for its visual styles and uh puzzle games like snake bird or we play a lot of switch also like obviously zelda and uh, mario kart and what whatever you have there yeah game games again where the character design is very simple and yeah. the logic goes that the simpler the design the easier it is to yeah. project onto it yeah yeah so obviously they are inspiring us but again i wouldn't say that we look at these games too much from a what is our next project perspective but because we really like playing and we are interested on what other people come up with and that was Niall Kitson talking to Leah Schoenfelder from the UXDX conference last week. Niall's still with us. Just before we go, uh, Niall, our one more thing, one story that's on the website we couldn't squeeze into the show today. Yeah, well, you remember BlackBerry? I do. Yes, indeed. Well, Fabulous little phone. And you get your thumbs on the keyboard and off you go. Well, there's a new BlackBerry phone coming, sort of. Oh, radically different. 
No, don't uh, tell me. Don't tell me. I, I I'll read all nothing. about it. I'll read all about it on the website at techcentral.ie. Of course, on the website, we've got all the Irish tech news with hourly updates. We give you daily newsletters as well and more, as well as our weekly tech radio show here online and broadcast every Friday at 6 p.m. on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1X Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Nile Kids and Tech Central HQ, thanks so much for listening and have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.